you would help us to know more of your truth, that you would help us to know, experience, and share more of your love. We pray you'd mold us into the people that you want. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I heard about the, the um, four priests who went on a retreat for Lent. And um, they were on this retreat, and at some point in the retreat, they decided that they were going to share their biggest temptations. And so the first one said, uh, well, I've got to share that sometimes I look at inappropriate pictures. In fact, even one time I bought a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. And, I don't know, Ooh. and the second one said, well, my great temptation is way worse than that. And he says, you know, I, I sometimes get super tempted by gambling. And I want to tell you that one time I even gave into it, and it was a Saturday. I should have been preparing my sermon. I went to the horse races, and I bet, and that's how I spent my Saturday. And the third guy said, oh, mine's worse than that, way worse than that. Mine, I struggle with drinking. And he said, there was one time when no one was around, and I went to the sacristy, and I drank the communion wine <laughs> all by myself. And then the fourth guy said, oh, my goodness, mine's worse than all of y'all's, and I wish I had gone first. Because my great temptation is gossip. <laughs> I've got a phone call to make. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about temptation. And um, we're doing this as part of our journey into Lent. And, um, you know, last week we talked about Jesus getting driven out into the desert to be tempted. And today we get Jesus being tempted again. And he, and he turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. And all of this. So that, that's part of what the Christian life, even Jesus, is greatly tempted. And so we want to talk about how, what we do with temptation. And it's something that all of us, I mean, Jesus is tempted. All of us are tempted. It doesn't matter whether you're young, old, new in the faith, mature in the faith. It doesn't matter. We all face temptation. And part of this is looking at it and owning it during the season of Lent and talking about it, right? Because some of us face struggles with materialism or greed or envy, or lying, or getting drunk, or lust. And all of us, I know, face some level of temptation with pride. And I think the first thing I want to say, we said it last week, but I want to say it again, is in some sense to take the pressure off, because all of us are sinners, and all of us are going to sin. We're not talking today about, I'm not try, dare trying to present something to say after today, we're not going to ever sin again or whatever else, because in this planet, on this life, we're always going to deal with that. But what we want to do is have less and less sin as we go along our spiritual journeys, to have them, the magnitude of them or the frequency of them or whatever it is be less. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but it, it's part of who we are that in our baptismal covenant that we say when somebody's baptized, we, we have this moment where people say, I'm going to turn from evil. I'm going to turn and accept Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then we go into all these questions and answers about what the Christian life looks like. And one of those questions that we get has to do with um, this notion of, of sin, right? And the actual question that, is, that we say is, will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. And part of that question, it says whenever. It doesn't say if. It says whenever, because we're all going to sin. That's just part of the deal. And, but, we, but we don't want to just hang there, right? So we, we sin. We're all going to sin. I'll say I'm a sinner. I'm, like Paul, I'm going to say I'm the chief of sinners, maybe. 
But the rest of this phrase says um, that we're going to repent and return to the Lord. And when we do that, we're met with his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his love, and all of this surrounding us. That's part of this ongoing journey. We're all sinners. We're gonna, we, if everything's working right, when we sin, we will turn back and come to him and we'll be welcomed with his embrace of love and grace and mercy. And some of you who are really practical, sort of my mind as well, are thinking, then why, does, why do a whole sermon on temptation? Because we know whenever we fall, we can come back, we're gonna get love, mercy, and grace. Why, why are we sweating this? But I think the reality of it is that there, there are consequences to our sins that are setbacks in our spiritual journeys. I mean, St. Paul writes that we're not slaves to sin anymore, um, that we're, we're not slaves, but we're still in a battle. And it's clear from his language that we're in a battle. And we ultimately know that we're on the victorious team in Christ, so to speak, but we're still in a battle and we still struggle with these things. And whenever we get into these sins, they impact our, our, all kinds of parts of our lives. And we talked about this last week. I'm going to mention just a few of those. I think the biggest at which is that it affects our relationship with Christ. I mean, it, it, ultimately, we can get back to where we were. But at least in the short term, it has an impact. You know, it's a little bit like, um, this is a really bad analogy, but it's the only one I could come up with on this deal. But um, it, I want to go back to college for a minute. I was an engineer in college, and I was one of the few fraternity uh, members in my fraternity that were engineers, and we had to work very hard. And there were even fewer for, um, sorority members that were in the science building. But one of them was a good friend of mine. And I'm, and I'm, I'm saying this just as a pretext of the story I'm going to tell you. She was a physics major. We had had calculus three, differential equations, and boundary value theory together. So we had done all this stuff together, and I was like, I'm going to take her out. So I invited her to go on a date during Christmas break. She lived in Austin. And I took her out on this date, and we, were, we had a great time. And we got down to the, the bill came, and I'm paying it. And I went to total up the tip and all this. And she looks down, and she starts laughing, and she says, you've misadded the tip. And she could not stop laughing. And I felt so embarrassed and ashamed I'm bigger than that now, but that was the only date we ever did. And um, I think about how these things can affect relationship, right? I mean, we do something big and it, maybe it affects us, whatever it is, but it, but it affects relationships. So I think that's a big piece of why we don't want to sin because it's going to, it puts stuff into the relationship we have with God. Or we think about how Jesus tells us he invites us and says, if you want to have joy in life, come abide in him. And he talks about what abiding means is keeping his commandments. And he says, you're keeping my commandments because I want my joy to be full in you. So every time we walk away from his commandments or we walk away from what he wants, there's a sense in which we're walking away from his joy. Or we can think about how he calls us to be living sacrifices you know, pure and spotless. And that's part of our whole lives are meant to be offerings to him. And then the offering we're bringing is this broken thing. I mean, and, and, and he honors that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm saying we want to be, we want to try to push out sin out of our lives every chance we get because it honors him more, right? I think that's part of what we do. And so we want to turn and, and talk today about season of Lent. We're reflecting on our sin. How do we try to avoid more sin in our lives? How do we try to turn 
from that sin and avoid the whole notion of temptation for a moment. And to do that, I want to read a passage of Scripture. What I want to do is I want to do two things from here. I want to talk about the process of sin, and then I want to talk about explicitly some ideas about how we try to avoid it. Right, so these two, but the first thing is trying to understand how it happens. And I want to suggest that the passage that we should look at is from the first chapter of James. And James has this part where he's, he's writing and he's talking about how sin takes place. And this is what he says. This is James 1, 14 through 16. He says, but one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it, then... When the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. That's what James writes. And I think the beginning place for a minute is to go to the very first part of this and to think about the language he uses. I mean, what he's saying is our internal stuff we have inside, our desires, ultimately lock on to some worldly thing and, and head in that direction and wanting it in a way that's not healthy. And the imagery he's giving, this lure and enticing, it's, uh, it's fishing language. And I think it's helpful to pause there for a minute because that's the language he uses to think about it because we're like um, fish coming up on a, this piece of bait or this lure. And m- maybe we think for a moment, we see it and we think, oh, it's not dangerous. Or maybe for a moment we see it and we think, oh, no, I've got the angle on it. I can do it without getting caught. Or whatever it is, but we see it. And, and if we would see the whole picture for a minute, you know, a fish doesn't, they don't, I mean, they can't think, but if they could, imagine if they could see themselves filleted and sitting on a plate. <laughs> they would be really easy to go by that bait, right? And the same way with us, if we could see the whole thing. I've got a friend of mine who, um, I don't want to go into the details, but um, his, he was a, had a graduate degree in an advanced way had a great life going, and then he, one time, and he knew better than this, he had one time, he decided he was going to try a drug. And I kid you not, today he has gone from up here to way down here, and I'm not going to give the details, but, but, it, but if he could have seen this down here, when that one opportunity was put before him, he would have never, ever done it, right? And I think part of our deal, when we're trying to break this temptation thing early, if we can think ahead to that, we would be so much better. Or I think about people... I mean, I've heard lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of confessions, right? But if you think about people, and I've heard many of these, people who end up in affairs, it is a no-win situation. Because at best, the person involved in an affair ends up in love with two people. And there's no winning that. The person who's in that, there is no winning, right? But if they could see that in advance, then the little things where somebody suddenly is giving them attention and it feels great... And there's a little bit of emotional connection and it's just a little bit of flirting and a little bit of this. If they could just jump to the end and see the agony and misery, not only for them, but for all the other people, it'd be a lot easier to walk by that bait. If we could see that and and nip it right there, that would be the thing to do. And that's part of what we need to think about and reflect on. Now, James, in writing about this process of sin, he switches from fishing kind of language now to birth. Because the next thing he says is that when you get these desires going, the next thing that happens is, is they conceive. And to me, that's that little voice that begins to say, you know, whatever the temptation is, it's little, the little voice beginning to say, oh, wouldn't that be great? And, you know, if materialism or greed's our thing, uh, 
wouldn't people think you're a rock star if you're driving that or if you're doing this or if you were living in that or if you had this much money or if you could do this or that or whatever it is, which is so remote from the spiritual life, but it's so tempting because it's where we live. And part of me wants to say sometimes Dallas might be worse than some other places. I don't know. But, but these little conceptions or if it's um, a physical sin we have, we think, oh, that's going to feel so good. Oh, it, no one's going to know. It's a piece of bait. It's going to be so good. The little voice, and it goes there, and then conception, and then it's birth. We do it. And then James says, well, it's not just that we do it, but then it leads to death. And I think there are a number of ways we can look at what that means. One, I think it means we, we, we let go and we say, man, I'm already there. I'm already a terrible person because that's what Satan wants us to think. We're beyond hope or whatever else or this, that. Anyway, we've blown it. So why not just blow it big and keep going? Or we go down that path and we get into such a pattern that we don't even see how bad it is. We just keep driving down that road without knowing that there's nothing good on that road. But we haven't turned around yet because we're already on it and we're just going down it. And it leads to death. That's the pattern, the process of sin that James talks about. That it's this enticement and luring. It, it gets conceived, it gives birth, and it leads to death. That's the process. And if we can stop on that early, if we could stop at the enticement stage, it would be so much better. Or if we could stop before it's fully conceived, and certainly before we do it, or even before it leads to ultimately to full death. These are the kinds of things we got to get off that road somewhere. So I want to give some ideas about how we do that. And, and the truth is, there are lots of ways we could talk about this. I'm going to give you one, some, some different thoughts I have from the years of counseling and working with people in their spiritual lives around sin. And the first of which I would say is to know yourself. And I want to suggest this. We're reflecting on our sin during Lent. I want to suggest that whenever you sin, whatever it is you, you struggle with temptation is, there's a pattern around it, oftentimes. Frequently for me, it's when I'm tired. And frequently for me, it's when I'm angry with God that I'm most tempted. And it's okay to be angry with God. Go read the Psalms. I think they give us language to yell at God sometimes. But to know that when you're susceptible that way, right? For me, that's where it is. And to then to take precautions. When you know you're on that pattern, I'm in that pattern. I'm angry with God. I'm at high risk. So what does that mean? You know, we're going to talk about some of these things. I was thinking about this. Of course, this weekend, I've been thinking about Billy Graham and his life. And um, some of you in the room, I know, will know some of the stories about him. But one of the things that comes to my mind on this particular topic is how in 1948, he was becoming a very successful evangelist and he was getting lots of attention and what have you. And the group of Christian uh, guys around him said, look, we have all these evangelists who've gone before you. And so many of them have fallen around sexual sins. And so they were like, we think, you know, God's touching you in this way. You ought to take precautions on this. And some of you will know this. In 1948, he took this, he made this vow known as the Modesto Manifesto that he would not be, he would not go to lunch or be in a room alone with a, with a woman alone who was not his wife from 1948 on. Never in a room alone with a woman who was not his wife for lunch or for any meetings or for anything else. That, that just, he wasn't going to go there because he didn't want to risk it. And I don't know if that was a temptation for him or not, 
but he was not, he, he knew it was for the category of people that were evangelists and he was going to avoid it. So I think those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves. When are we on that path? What's a place where we're most vulnerable and how are we going to make sure we don't go down it? Right? I mean, these are things I'm telling myself as well. And along with that, I think there are some things we can do to think ahead, right? Like I was saying earlier about envisioning the, the end game. But part of this, uh, I know a friend of mine who says when he's tempted, he thinks about God's call in his life and where he ultimately wants to go. And if he's really tempted, he says he stops and imagines his funeral and, his, and the eulogy. And he thinks about how he wants people to stand up and talk about his character and what he was like and all of this. And, he, and then it's easier for him to turn back and say, it's not that. I'm, I'm getting away from that. There was a way of sort of envisioning that and holding that up. Well, the, the final thing I want to move to on this is our spiritual health in general is what helps us also face down sin. And this gets into all the dimensions of being a disciple and the spiritual life, but I want to mention some of them. The first of which, I want to suggest just this whole notion of being open to the Holy Spirit. Because we don't talk about it enough. You know, we, we talk about it, baptism, you're marked as Christ's own by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. We talk about the Holy Spirit coming. We, we talk about the Holy Spirit every time we get together, but we don't really focus on how the Holy Spirit is the one who is walking alongside us helping us and transforming us. And there's a sense of asking the Spirit to help us face down these temptations. I think that's the first thing. And then we get into all these disciplines, right? The first of which is prayer. And some of you may remember this for a minute. If you remember in the garden before Jesus dies, the last, you know, we'll go there on Monday, Thursday, at the end of Lent. But Jesus, for the last time, he speaks to his disciples about temptation that night. And he doesn't, you know, they're falling asleep and all this. And, but Jesus tells them, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Jesus is telling them to pray, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Now, every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray, lead us not into temptation. But do we ever stop and really pray about our own challenge? To say, help me with that? Because Jesus calls us to do that. And I think the other thing along with that is um, to think about the place of Scripture for a moment. And I'm, I'm getting all kinds of categories that Episcopalians don't like. But like not only reading your Bible, but maybe memorizing some passages from it, right? I mean, I once had the Bishop of London speak to a group I was at. And he told these students... The more you memorize scripture, the more it'll be on your lips, the more it will help you in all these ways, right? So there's not only reading it, but maybe memorizing it. But I'm going to go to last week's gospel. Jesus goes out into the desert and he's faced with these temptations. And did you notice that each time he's faced with a temptation, he answered with scripture? And not only did he answer with scripture, but they were all from Deuteronomy. So some people, we don't have any proof of this, but some people say, oh, he was clearly studying that part of the Bible at the time. And so he was quoting back, every time he got tempted, he's quoting back these passages. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and all these kinds of things. The place of Scripture, letting it breathe in us that way. Or I would say, along with another aspect of this, is maybe, if it's a particular challenge, be able to share it with somebody. I've got um, a Christian buddy of mine all the way back from college who knows my temptations. And, when, and we don't talk, we talk probably once or twice, once or every two months, once a month or every two months. 
he will ask me about it. How have you been on that? And he's one of the few people who knows that. But it's an accountability thing. That helps us. If you know someone's going to ask you, it helps us. Or sometimes if you'd even have to just face somebody and say it. I think we, don't, we underutilize the sacrament of confession, which is powerful for two reasons. One, we look at somebody and have to say and own it. And two, we get to hear the God giving this gift to the church to say you're forgiven and move on along with it. There's great, great, amazing power in that. Well, there, there's two more things I want to mention. Um, one is that... Uh, Along with knowing how we're susceptible, I think we have to know what our strengths are because oftentimes we are tempted around our strengths because I think it's tied up in our pride. You think you're really good at this or really strong at this, that's oftentimes where you're going to get attacked. And I think about this, like St. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. He's kind of saying, if you think you're tough stuff, look out. Right? And so it's being aware of the things that you think you're strong at because it's oftentimes where we're tempted. And the very final thing, maybe this is where the title of the sermon comes from more than anything else, is to think about how to get out of that situation altogether. And one of our, um, maybe this is a prideful thing, but sometimes when we're tempted and we think we're mature in Christ and all this, we think, I'm going to face it down head on. And Paul wants to say, with our temptation, a lot of times it's about getting out of there, fleeing. So Paul says this, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with temptation will also provide a way of escape. He didn't say a way to kick it or beat it straight up, and, but, he's, but to get out of there, escape. That you may be enabled to endure it. So I think sometimes we just have to flat out um, figure out a way to get out of there and... Um, you know, Bill is my Old Testament scholar, but I, I should ask him to do this on the spot, but I won't because I didn't tell him in advance. But, but if you go back to think about Potiphar for a minute and Joseph, and you want to tell us what happened with the, with the temptation there? Or no, I, won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't do that to you. But the idea that it, Joseph has this moment where Potiphar's wife has got eyes for him, and she's all about, mm-hmm. And Joseph's response is not to... St- stand down and give her some eloquent speech or anything else. He gets the heck out of town on this thing. And that, I think, is what we're called to do on that, right? To just get out of the situation. Don't argue with it. Don't deal with it. You know, and there are all kinds of things like this. And, you know, I'm going to end with something in just a minute. But there are all kinds of, you know, we're reflecting on sin during the season of Lent. And all of us have got to deal with this temptation to go there. All these things we've talked about today are going to help us with it. And, you know, there are all kinds of things we don't talk about in church that we should. There's an epidemic going on amongst men that I'm not going to say right now with tender ears in the room, but I'm just telling you there's an epidemic going on of what people see on their computers. And what are we doing with it? We're not even talking about it. These are the kinds of things we're talking about. How do we get out of this? How do we get away from it? How do we find a way out? These are the ways we want to do all these different things. I want to leave you with one final thing, and that is we can get frustrated with this struggle about our temptation and our sin, but I don't think it's for naught. And I want to give you a story from the ancient uh, fathers of the desert. There is one ancient father of the desert named, named Abbot John, and he had this one monk who came to him and said, I've been praying that God would take all passion from me, and he's done it. I, I don't have any passion anymore for anything. 
You know, maybe he's doing Buddhism on the side, but he has no passion for anything anymore. And this is what Abbot John told him. The, the elder said, go and pray to the, the Lord to command some struggle to be stirred up in you. For the soul is matured only in battles. And when temptation started up again, he did not pray that the struggles be taken from him, but only said, Lord, give me the strength to get through the fight. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, give us the strength to get through the fight. We know you love us, that you care about us, that you want our joy and wholeness. You want us to walk in a way that gives glory to you. Lord, we ask you to help us to do that as we face the temptations of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.